Welcome to episode 164 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest Insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst, Angel Sag. Let's get started with my topics, and all three of mine are going to be centered on Mobile World Congress Las Vegas and our recap. I will be posting a Forbes article. You can catch it at Will Town Tech. Should be posting midweek on Wednesday. But let me start with my first topic. And this is about T-Mobile. And they announced a new SIM-based SASE offering uh, that also comes with a security slice. I want to talk about that first, and then I'm going to talk about their developer slice in a moment. So this is an industry first. If you are aware of the fact, pre-merger, Sprint was working with Versa Networks. And, and basically, it was they were... Sprint was reselling just the standard Versa SD-WAN solution. Flash forward, however many years later it's been, SASE is a big thing. Secure Access Service Edge. And basically what SASE is, to Gartner coin term, um, but it integrates security with SD-WAN. And so T-Mobile's approach is differentiated in two ways. One, they're using... Uh, the inherent SAM in every mobile device to authenticate users for identity access management. And yeah. uh, that that's pretty game-changing when you think about what's typically required. There typically have to be agents that are installed to enable SD-WAN security uh, conversions. The set eliminates that. And the other benefit in using SAM is that you can extend SASE to IoT devices. And many okay. IoT devices are headless, they're embedded, and it's impossible to install any sort of agent. T-Mobile is offering an agent for those devices that want to be part of a network. But this is pretty innovative. And what's even more innovative is the industry's first security slice. And so they're taking a network slice off of their standalone network, and they're fine-tuning certain aspects to support security workloads. And so it's super, super competitive, differentiated. This is exactly what T-Mobile needs to be doing, given that they are still building an enterprise services portfolio relative to their other competitors in the U.S. The other thing I'll mention here is that we've talked about the developer slice. That was only available in a limited part of the country. At Mobile World Congress, T-Mobile announced that the developer slice is now available nationwide. And so they're really leaning into their standalone network to deliver a very differentiated security solution and developer support. And I know you weren't able to attend the event. I don't know if you caught this news, but what are your thoughts, even if you didn't? I caught it, but I didn't get into that much detail. The one thing I was going to ask you is, with this SIM-based security slice, what kind of workloads are you expecting to run on this slice? Who would deploy this and how? That's a good question. There were a ton of details there. Obviously, network slicing allows you to steer certain aspects like latency and throughput and device support and tune it to a particular workload or an application. So that was a little high level. When you start thinking about security, there's a lot of overhead when it comes to encryption and that sort of thing. And theoretically, a dedicated security slice could be fine-tuned to handle encryption and decryption and that sort of thing. And within the announcement, they did also talk about what they're doing with um, zero trust network access and, and that sort of things. Not a lot of details there, but that's how I'm reading the tea leaves, as it were. The reason why I ask is just because I feel like maybe this could be 
the new age of VPN, where mm-hmm. maybe you deploy this instead of a VPN, and suddenly yeah. you have a lot better performance, security, and people don't have to overload their systems with a VPN. I'm curious if, if you think that's possible. It, no, you're dead on. A lot of, there are some security companies, not a lot of, but there are some securities out there that are bemoaning the death of VPN and in, in lieu of zero trust network accidents. So Zscaler is one of those companies. And so you're absolutely right. One of the challenges there with Sansi was the economics and being able to scale it. And in, in T-Mobile delivering the Sunday solution, basically allowing any mobile device that has a sound to, to be included in, in this particular SASE offering, it's eliminating that barrier and it's, it's making the economics scalable for SASE. Traditionally, SD-WAN was used for traditional branch locations, branches being offices where employees would work and gather. And then during the pandemic, obviously the branch turned into the micro branch. And so hundreds of branches turned into hundreds of thousands, if not millions of branches. And traditional SASE solutions just don't scale based partly on um, that challenge with um, having to have an agent. You, you nailed it. This is definitely a modern VPN type replacement. And again, T-Mobile is the first to offer it. And so again, great um, strategy on their part to really focus on differentiation versus going head to head with AT&T and Verizon that have much more mature um, business portfolios. But with that, let's go to your first topic, and um, we're going to get the tinfoil hats out again, and you're going to talk about an anti-vaxxer conspiracy theory around um, phone alerts, the possibility of triggering a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, so basically what this is about is there is a QAnon conspiracy theory, which is based on 5G networks and their deployment. And there's a, there's going to be a test going down tomorrow on Wednesday. That's going to be a nationwide alert. So that way, when we have maybe a nationwide emergency that the government can alert us. And during that alert, uh, FEMA will be sending out that message using the emergency alert system and the wireless emergency alerts. And it'll happen around 2.20 Eastern time. But what's interesting is there's all kinds of conspiracy theories saying that there's going to be an outbreak a zombie outbreak due to a combination of vaccines, 5G poisoning, and a bat-borne disease. People have creative imaginations. Um, yeah. This emergency broadcast system will not do that. And there's a lot of people who are going to look real foolish tomorrow. But I think they'll, they'll move on to the next event to conspire, or I guess believe that will be cons- conspiracy. But once again, I, I think I wrote a paper about the, the deployment of 5G and a lot of the disappointment around it. I published that on our website last week, but I do right. talk about how some of the lack of 5G development in the U.S. has been a consequence of people not understanding what 5G is and banning it in their cities or their towns. And then yeah. making it difficult for operators to actually deploy a, a coherent network that people can use for their services. So. Thankfully, mm-hmm. that hasn't really been as big of a problem as it was initially in 2018, 2019, because realistically, a macro cell, they can't really even stop that because it's already in place. Uh, right. I'm sure they've really made it more difficult for some of those millimeter wave micro cells or, and pico cells. But nevertheless, fun thing to talk about, but also 5G related because people are still 
woefully undereducated on 5G. Yeah, you, you and I talked about this. I think it was like one of our very first podcasts when we put on the the tinfoil hats. And my theory at the time was Millimeter Way was new, a new spectrum band for 5G. And people thought it's like, hey, give them the fidelity, give back coach your brain. And so it's interesting that we're sitting here 40 years later and it still is coming up. But what I liked about this one is it combined a couple of different things. It combined national infrastructure as well as 5G. So really interesting stuff. But let's move to my second topic and keeping with the theme of Mobile World Congress. I want to talk about NTT and NTT Docomo. Each had announcements at Mobile World Congress Las Vegas. I'll start with NTT at first. So NTT uh, announced uh, a partnership with Qualcomm. And what they're doing is uh, focusing on delivering a new class of 5G-enabled devices um, with, of course, AI and using and leveraging AI to enhance data processing at the network edge. And so... NTT is also planning to offer a device as a service model that's coming out of this partnership that will allow um, organizations that don't necessarily have the resources to traditionally capitalize hardware to basically treat device as a service and treat that as an operational expense and be able to pay for that in subscription on a monthly basis. And you've seen this trend with other companies like Dell, PC as a service. We're seeing network as a service that's in any sort of consumption of, of IT infrastructure as a service, especially given all these inflationary times. So I think it's a strong um, announcement and it continues to demonstrate NTT's focus and working with some of the largest partners in the mobility space to really drive scale and just access to technology in general. About the same time, NTT Docomo, the mobile network operator division of NTT, announced a new open RAN platform called Oryx. And I didn't actually have an opportunity to meet in person with the Docomo team. But Abita Sign, who's the general manager, spent some time with me before I flew from New York to Mobile World Congress. And we talked about Oryx. And what they're doing is they're working with 13 different partners to develop an ecosystem to address some of the integration challenges and the adoption challenges of open RAN. And I asked him quite blank, I said, this sounds like it's a kind of a page from what Rakuten has been doing with Symphony. And obviously there have been changes there. We've talked about that on a prior podcast. But but he seemed to be very bullish on what they're doing. Um, they're, with Oryx as a platform, they're offering three packages. And it spans virtualized radio base stations and wireless equipment, software enabling autonomous equipment operations, and then system integration, maintenance, and operational support. But on the surface, it looks really compelling from my perspective. Symphony and what Rakuten was doing with SimWorld uh, was trying to accomplish the same objectives. But as you and I have discussed on prior podcasts, I, they hit a wall and they, they weren't growing the revenue base and then all of a sudden, there are all these management changes. Again, Open RAN is not easy. It's been, we've been on this path with Open RAN for the last few years here. And the question really becomes how much will Open RAN be a tangible part of 5G deployments? I think you and I have talked about greenfield opportunities with various operators like Rakuten, Geo, and Dish in the US. And it's proving to be a good kind of test ground 
for where I really think up and ran can really make a huge impact, which will be in 6G. But we're not going to talk about 6G on this podcast. So I don't know if you caught the news from NTT and NTT Docomo, but what are your thoughts? But I will say we shouldn't shy away from 6G, but maybe not on this episode. Um, But I do think when you look at what's happening in 5G, which once again, I talked about in paper, and I appreciate you helping me with that section. I, I really think private 5G is going to be a huge enabler for stuff like open RAM and edge new. Yeah. And without private 5G, I think there's just not enough room to fit it in. A lot of the net, a lot of the networks are already built out. Um, right. There's going to be some core replacements, but that's not open RAM, right? I think when we start getting new applications for 5G that are greenfield, like you said. There's going to be lots of room for open RAN, and I think it's going to be to save money, but also to be configurable and adjustable to what the demands are of the new applications. I do mm-hmm. think it's going to be a place for open RAN. And to your point, I think it's going to be very bolt on with 5G, but with 6G, I think we might actually see it be a lot more front and center. And I think a lot of the issues with open RAN will probably be addressed in 5G so that they're ready to yep. go in 6G. Yeah, I agree. And there's been a lot of work there. There's the OpenRAN Policy Coalition. There's the ORAN Alliance. There's TIP. There's now TT and Docomo, what they're doing with Oryx. There's a lot of lessons learned from, from Rakuten and Symphony. And getting all of that out of the way and in a 5G world, I think bodes really well for its, its more widespread application within 6G. But Let's go to your second topic, and you want to talk about NATO and their use of 5G mesh networks. Yeah, so they are, they conducted a test in Portugal. This is from a defense article. And basically, in late September, they did they, this thing called Dynamic Messenger, which is a organized uh, NATO allied command transformation, uh, allied maritime command working together to basically interoperate between 16 allies and one partner nation. And they're basically also taking Japan, New Zealand, and South Korea into this to as observer nations. But basically what they're doing is they're trying to figure out like unmanned drones, unmanned, and like how do they get everything to work together and interoperate across nations, but also across different types of vehicles. And Lockheed Martin was one of the initial companies to provide this open system that's interoperable and configurable infrastructure for the Marine Corps. But this OSIRIS is a 5G communications network, and they were using it to basically create a mesh network between different types of submersibles and drones and other unmanned vehicles. It's really interesting because it really seems like that this is like an open platform that they're using for, for, for defense applications specifically, but cool because it's expanding 5G's applications beyond what we understand it to be. And I, that's really interesting because it lends credibility to the whole 5G needs to be secure if we're going to use it. And there, this is obviously going to be a very different type of deployment than a traditional 5G network that is going to be much like a private mesh. Uh, but they did use 5G net mesh networks to pass information between these submersibles and obviously to also control them where possible. So it's really cool because it's a defense application. We're not going to get very many details on it, but it's cool. And it's yet another application of 5G as infrastructure 
to enable new applications. And we're seeing more and more of these unmanned submersibles in war, as we've seen Ukraine using them to ship, to sink the Moscow destroyer, which is the biggest ship in the Russian fleet. Uh, And yeah, there's going to be a lot more of these unmanned uh, vehicles and and having that communication protocol be rock solid uh, between them and also to be able to control them remotely without interference is really important. Yeah, the military applications are, if you think about the low latency, the throughput, uh, military applications are incredible. Yeah, and I've been at a few shows where I've actually seen these portable, like all-in-one solutions where you can take this potentially into a theater of war and set up a base station or a core networking infrastructure very quickly. And you mentioned the war uh, between Ukraine and Russia. There is a lot of aerial drones, and I'm not talking about the drones that are flown from a bunker that are the size of the airplane. For once. Yeah, actual like DJI drones that are being controlled, and 5G could help extend the flight path. I know you're a big drone aficionado as well. The technology is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, the range of them keeps getting better and better, but most of those drones still use Wi-Fi. It'll be interesting to see how 5G gets utilized in those ways, but the, the Ukrainian drones are interesting because they're flying into Russia and that's a different cellular network. And right. uh, it's probably a lot easier to operate those drones on their home networks than it is to try and operate them remotely on another country's networks. But clearly war is changing and it's becoming much, much more automated and, and unmanned. Yeah. And hey, listen, right or wrong or indifferent, 5G could have a huge impact there. But let's go to my third and final topic, sticking with the Mobile World Congress Las Vegas theme. And I want to talk about Samsung. And there were a couple of announcements at the event. The first happened right before the show started, and it's an announcement with AMD. And basically what's occurring is that there's a new Epic CPU that's been launched. And that is, I'm, I'm looking, it's the Epic 8004 processor line. And so what AMD and Samsung are doing is they're collaborating together. Samsung is uh, providing the, the necessary VRAN software. And what they're aiming to do is reduce power consumption and improve performance for telco edge applications and, and RAN deployments. Just another kind of proof point in Samsung's growing momentum and leadership within VRAN. Hey man, five years ago in a 4G world, Samsung Networks wasn't even on the RAN radar map. And uh, not, not, to, not to use a military term there, but, but today they've really become a leader and working with AMD is, is pretty impressive. And what's even more impressive was an announcement at the event, during the event with KDDI. They are uh, an operator in, uh, in South Korea that we've uh, spoken about before. And um, Samsung and KDDI announced uh, what they're calling the 5G Global Network Slice Alliance. And so the two companies have come together. I'm assuming they're going to try to attract other companies to come join them. But what they're trying to do is together create new 5G network slicing services. And I think this is great because we're in the very early days of network slicing. There are only a handful of operators that have deployed standalone public networks. And anytime infrastructure and operators come together, I think that's a great recipe for innovation. And so I'm expecting big things from this partnership. I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see other infrastructure providers on mobile network operators join them. So don't know if you caught that, Nance, but what are your thoughts? 
I was surprised to see that Samsung is now using AMD, but I do yeah. think it's good. It gives their customers choice. Intel has been like the only choice in town. And the only sure. thing I'll say is a correction that KDDI is actually a Japanese operator. Oh, uh, you're right. But I, not everybody has every operator in the world memorized like I do. So <laughs> I should know that, man. And I can't blame the jet lag because I've been back from London for two weeks. But thanks for the correction. I knew better than that. With that, let's go to your third and final topic. And you want to talk about the Ryder Cup. And I was actually invited to attend the Ryder Cup, extended that invitation, but I had many travel conflicts. Oh, yeah. I've had to turn yeah. down recently. That was equally awesome. So I understand. Yeah, but you want to talk about um, the fact that they are um, leaning into private 5G as well as Wi-Fi 6, right? Yeah, I'm reading, read an article about private 5G and using Wi-Fi. Um, and basically, it's it, they, they call it the traveling circus because it's there's thousands of people that are attending this event. It's a real big moving thing. It's like the Ryder Cup happens in the same place every time. They always have to set up a new location. And this time, the Ryder Cup ended up being played, I think, in Italy. And and what you're right, it was in Rome because I was invited and I couldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting is the spectrum that they used was 3.8 gigahertz, uh, but they had to get a like a waiver from the Italian government to use that. And they were obviously using very little spectrum, but they were using spectrum, and they were combining that Wi-Fi with Wi-Fi 6E. And they were doing that with a lot of HP Aruba equipment. And they deployed something like 800 access points. And they were basically powering the entire event with that setup. But what was really cool because the Ryder Cup CTO basically talked about how private 5G provides the backhaul. And then they're using solar-powered Wi-Fi access points um, or remote parts of the golf course, which are also HPE equipment. So this was a really big win for HPE. And then they also had security, they had bandwidth, and they were able to build this without really having to run fiber and tear up the golf course. And right. they could deploy things and then tear it back down and, and it would no be the wiser. It seemed to work really well for everything that they were using it for. And everyone seemed to be very happy with how it came out. And it was a a really big success. And a lot of people were talking about it. Have you ever been to a PGA tournament? I have not. I am slowly getting into golf, but I, I'm i 34, so I'm not really that much of a golfer yet, but I'm working my way up and I'm taking some lessons and I want to get good at it, but I can appreciate the difficulty of actually being a good golfer. And sometimes I'll watch golf, but I have not yet gone to a PGA tour event, even though there's one in San Diego every year. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not sure it's. It's really the the headache of getting to and from the event that I really don't enjoy. So yeah. if I can find a way to, to attend without having to deal with too much traffic, probably my idea. I have. I lived in Houston for a number of years, so Shell Open was really big. And I actually had the opportunity in 2012 to attend the Masters. Uh, a friend of mine, his family's had tickets for many years. And I don't say that to brag, but I say that because when I attended this event, you would not believe the amount of cable. That was stretched everywhere on the ground, laying on the ground. It, it's a monumental effort to lay all that out. And 5G can do that all without wires. 
And so it's super compelling. And when people ask me, it's like, think of 5G wireless fiber service. When you look at the speeds and the throughput and the latency and that sort of thing, this is a game changer, especially for the PGA, where to your point, it's mobile and they're moving all over the world, much F1, much like NASCAR is NASCAR travels. And so the ability to be able to, to do this all wirelessly is pretty, it's pretty compelling. But with that, it's other than my calling KDDI, a Korean operator, it's been a great podcast. Why don't you take us on? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this topic interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific strategy topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech and I'm at Anshel Sarg. We hope you have a great week and please don't forget to rate and subscribe and tune in later this week with our next episode.